0: Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. You're listening to the Qalam podcast. Welcome to another episode of Lives of the Prophets by Mufti Hussein Kamani. Before we get into the session, I wanted to share a quick message with y'all. Alhamdulillah, since 2011 until now, we have made a commitment here at Qalam to the podcast. All of our instructors are on the Qalam podcast contributing, recording, And delivering different series and sessions to you, so that no matter where you are, what's going on, you are able to continue to learn and grow and increase the understanding of your religion. What we ask you to do, aside from continuing to listen and sharing the podcast with family and friends, is go to supportqalam.com. Supportqalam.com. Go there and be a part of the cause. Get your own stake and share in the reward of all the good that is going on, and be a part of the solution. Go there, donate, be a part of the solution, share the link with family and friends, and let us all of us work together to bringing the proper understanding of Islam and the education of the religion to all the people all around the world. Jazakumullahu khairan. Thank you very much for listening. Now on to the session.
1: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى وصلام على عباده الذين اصطفاء خصوصا على سيد رسوله وخاتم الأنبياء وعلى آله لسكياء واصحابه لتقياء أما بعد Among the Prophets mentioned in the Qur'an is Sayyidina Ayyub عليه السلام Ayyub عليه السلام's mention Appears in the Quran on four occasions. Two places, very briefly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions Ayyub as a part of a list of other prophets being named. For example, in Surah Nisa, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, wa Isa wa Ayyub wa 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 Allah is listing prophets and amongst them He lists Sayyidina Ayyub. Similarly, in Surah An'am, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمِنْ ذُرِّيَّتِهِ دَاوُودَ وَسُلَيْمَانَ وَأَيُّبَ وَمُوسَى وَهَارُونَ So there again we see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala naming Ayyub alayhi salam in a list of other prophets. There are two places specifically where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes mention of Ayyub alayhi salam And there is a little bit more detail provided in these verses. These verses are in Surah Anbiya and in Surah sa I'll come to those verses shortly and we'll discuss them, and aziz. The scholars have differed in opinion on when Ayyub lived in the world. What was his period? What was his era? When did he actually live in this world? And believe it or not, there is actually a lot of ikhtilaf and a great difference of opinion amongst the scholars on the period of Ayyub Therefore you'll find in some works of history where the historians go through the biography of the Prophets, they mention Ayyub Salam's story before Ibrahim salam. Because according to one opinion, Ayyub salam lived before Ibrahim salam. They actually believe that he lived 100 years before Ayyub salam, as is the opinion of Najjar Um Ibn Asakir, his position is that Ayyub salam lived Close to the period of Ibrahim alayhi salam, and he was a mu'assir, a contemporary of Lut alayhi salam, and he actually followed the religion of Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam. So this is the position of Ibn Asakir. Now some historians they place Ayyub alayhi salam much later on. So their opinion is that as they go through the biographies of the scholars, they mention the story of Dawud alayhi salam, Sulaiman alayhi salam, and then they mention Ayyub alayhi salam And this is another position. And a third position is that the scholars hold that Ayyub alayhi salam lived after Yusuf alayhi salam and before Musa alayhi sallam. So in this window right here. Sayyid Sulaiman rahimahullah ta'ala, he said while addressing the issue that his he lived some point be and 100 Qabr al-Masih to 700 Qabr al Between 100 Qabr al-Masih, meaning before Christ, to 700 Qabr al But as I mentioned, the scholars, they say, that it's not so late where it's 100 Qabr al-Masih, it's actually much before that. And this is where the scholars, they bring the position. And how we know that um, Ayyub alayhi salam lived long before the period described by some and way after the period described by others. And his life actually came in the middle, not so close to Isa salam, where he's after Sulaiman and not so early before Ibrahim salam, or around the period of Isa, Ibrahim salam, in the middle, how we know this, is because of a few qarain. there are a few indicators. Number one, we know that Musa he restored the sahifa of Ayyub Alayhi He restored the sahifa of Ayyub Alayhi Which is known as the Safra Ayyub The trips and travels, the, uh, the travel of Ayyub Alayhi And when he restored it, he changed it from Qadim Arabi to Abrani Now someone could ask what was, why was Ayyub Alayhi document in Arabic? Why was, it, why was it not in Abrani in Hebrew from the get-go? Why was it in, 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 in Qadim Arabi? The answer to this is actually a part of the history. That Yaqub a.s. had a brother whose name was Isu, and we covered this in our class in the past. He was a twin of Yaqub a.s. They were both sons of Ishaq a.s. And there seems to have been a rivalry between the two, more jealousy from Isu to Yaqub, not necessarily a rivalry from Yaqub in return. But as a part of this jealousy, if you recall in that class I mentioned, that some historians claim that Isu, in order to distance himself from his toxic jealousy, what he did was he relocated from Ard Muqaddasa, from Palestine, and went to Jaziratul Arab to live with his uncle, Sayyidina Ismail. And this is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses Isu with many children. And the children that he's blessed with The scholars of history write that most of them were kings and rulers. And that's why when when the people of Dawood were looking for a leader, they came to Jalut. And the historians trace Jalut, this leader, this king, this ruler, this warrior, to be from the family of Isu, that this is where he was from. Now Isu's children began to migrate north until they came to this area between the Arab lands and Sham. And this is where they settled down. And because they were wealthy people, these people were also leaders, we see also that Ayyub was also a wealthy person. A lot of that wealth came down to him, and he had a very large and great family as well. Some historians have also said that Salam's wife was related to Luta. I'm sorry, his mother was related to Luta. A.s. And if she was related to Luta and from his progeny, what that means is that he was after Luta, after the period of Ibrahim. A.s. Similarly, many historians have said that his wife was the granddaughter or great-granddaughter of Sayyiduna Yusuf salam. And this is a common position. That's why in our previous class we covered Yusuf alayhi salam and in this class we are covering Sayyiduna Ayyub alayhi salam. Because his period comes after Yusuf Ali salam, but it comes before the period of uh, Musa alayhi salam. And there are many other um, qara'in and indicators and there's a there's more detail to this discussion, but we'll leave and suffice there. Now in the Qur'an, in two places, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes mention of Ayyub alayhis salam in some detail. One of, them, one of the places being in Surah Anbiya, and the second place being in Surah sa I'll cover these two ayat, but before I cover them, I wanted to draw out a brief image of the story of what happened with Sayyidina Ayyub alayhis salam. What we know regarding Ayyub alayhi salam is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had blessed him. He had a large land under his ownership. He had great amounts of livestock. He had many children. He had a wife. He was someone that you can consider to be quite settled in life. You know, he had everything that a person could ask for. On top of that, he was also a Nabi of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, not only had Allah given him from the physical, but Allah had also given him great blessings from the spiritual. He was a prophet to his people. People loved him. They respected him. They sat with him. They benefited from him. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tested Ayyub alayhi salam. And his test was one of the greatest tests that human beings have ever seen. Because when a person has nothing and then they go through a lot, that's one type of a test. But when you have everything and then you lose it all, and then you are tested to the degree where mankind abandoned you, everyone leaves you, that's a whole different level of a test. So there's one test that a person deals with internally. Where, you know, I have an illness, but my friends are still there, my family is still there. People still come to visit me in the hospital, someone still calls me. So there's a support from people. But imagine a point where a person reaches that they are struggling internally, they are tearing up, broken down, they're in fire inside, they're in so much pain with themselves, but mankind has also left them. And it's at times like this that the human being truly loses purpose in life, and people begin to crumble, right? Ayyub alayhis Salam was tested by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this fashion. Now there's a question, why did Allah test Ayyub alayhis Salam? Why did Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la test Sayyidina Ayyub salam? Ayyub What was the cause behind Ayyub alayhi salam being tested? So the first thing first, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta-A'la mentions no cause in the Qur'an regarding why Ayyub alayhi salam was tested. Similarly, there is no narration attributed to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam marfu' which connects to the Prophet of Allah that states why Ayyub Alayhi was tested. However, مع هذا ذكر المفسرون أسبابا لإبتلائه. Yet, the Mufassirun have still narrated some opinions regarding the reason, the cause behind Ayyub being tested by Allah taala. So you have Zamakhshari, who is a famous linguist and also a known Mu'adaz uh, Mufassir. He writes... He says one reason that's mentioned. Now note here because I'm going to come back to this at the end. Before quoting this opinion, Zamakhshiri says ذُكِرَة. What word does he use? ذُكِرَة. And I'm going to point this out uh, again and again. So he, means, he brings the word ذُكِرَة. And dhukira is a passive verb. What is it guys? A passive verb. When we talk about traditions and their authenticity... Any narration that is narrated while the narrator uses a passive verb like قيلة, روية, you رُوِيَ, know, um, ذُكِرَ that right there clearly connotates and it indicates that this is a weak narration not only a weak narration like quite weak it's quite weak do you guys understand? So when someone says حَدَّثَنِ this is a, a term used when narrating hadith that means this is strong um, أَخْبَرَنَا this is the second form of narrating hadith. This also means it's very strong. If a person says A'an, when narrating the hadith, that's all they mention. No had no They only mention an. Now questions begin to come up: Is this is there a happening here? Someone skipping a narrator? Is this is this chain sound? Because the word an used when narrating hadith is not the most prestigious or um, verifiable form. Then you have things like قِيلَة, رُوِيَة, you know, um, ذُكِرَة, these are considered very weak. So note here, as when he narrates his opinion, he brings the word ذُكِرَة. Then, so he then says that there was a person, he says the reason is because there was a person that came to Ayyub Alayhi salam who sought assistance from Ayyub Alayhi salam against an oppressor, and Ayyub Alayhi salam did not assist him, therefore Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala afflicted him with calamity. Opinion number one. وَقِيلَة Again, note here, what's the word used? Qila, which is again a passive verb. That um, Ayyub Salam had a livestock which grazed in the, uh, in, in, near the livestock of a hakim kafir, a disbelieving ruler. And this person stole Ayyub Salam's property and Ayyub Salam was too cowardish and did not seek revenge. Therefore Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he afflicted him with this punishment. Now, I, I completely understand how disrespectful this language is to Ayyub alayhi salam. That's why once we go through these opinions, I'll address them insha'Allah, and the problems within these narrations. The third opinion that he quotes, وَقِيلًا that Ayyub alayhi salam began to have pride because he had a lot of wealth. Ayyub alayhi salam began to have a lot of pride. Because he had so much wealth. Now, Imam Ibn Atiyah, the famous Mufassir, while addressing this issue, he narrates a few other causes. He says, Ru'ya, again, passive, verb. That the reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala afflicted Ayyub alayhi salam is because Annahu ala ba'd al-muluk fara'a munkaran falam That one time Ayyub entered the court of, a, of some king and he saw the king doing something wrong and ayub Salam did not raise his voice he was too cowardish to raise his voice therefore allah subhanahu wa ta'ala afflicted him wa and it is also ruwiya narrated anna sabab that the cause behind this affliction was annahu dhabaha shatan wa wa that one day ayub Salam slaughtered a a goat he cooked it. It was eaten by him while his neighbor was next to him and his neighbor was hungry and he did not share any of his food with his um, na- with his neighbor. Another opinion, أنه دخل مع قومه على جبار عظيم That Ayub one day entered upon a great oppressing ruler فخ, along with his people. So he came with his people. أمرن, they had a conversation regarding a particular issue. فَجَعَلَ أيوب يَلِينُ لَهُ مِنَ الْقَوْلِ فِي الْقَوْلِ مِنْ أَجْلِ زَرْعٍ لَهُ So Ayyub عليه السلام spoke very softly with this ruler because Ayyub عليه السلام wanted his favor so that this ruler would not take away Ayyub عليه السلام's agricultural land. So therefore since he was very soft and easygoing, looking for favor, therefore فَمْتَحْنَهُ اللَّهِ بِذِهَابِ أَهْلِهِ وَمَالِهِ وَبِالذُرِّ fi جَسْمِهِ, في جسمه. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then afflicted him With, the, uh, with everything um, that's mentioned And we'll go through the affliction inshallah. But as I mentioned at the beginning And I'm going to wrap it up again right now There is no authenticity to any of these opinions And the truth is that when we look as Muslims At authentic sources Because even when we read our history We need to have sources that make sense They can't contradict established beliefs we have our belief regarding Anbiya is that they are masoon. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protects them. Our belief regarding Anbiya is that they do not fear anyone when it comes to the matter of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is a universal belief we hold for all Prophets. This is not only for the Prophet Muhammad wasalaam, but we extend this courtesy and this belief to all Anbiya We believe that the Prophets of Allah would never remain silent. They would never sell out their deen for the sake of a small benefit from some petty king, some petty oppressor. This goes directly against our Aqidah. And when you have a narration that is weak, and it contradicts established principles, the principle in hadith and accepting narrations is that what do we do with that weak narration? We shelf it. You're done. You have no place in this discussion anymore. Because this weak narration is promoting an idea, or an opinion, that contradicts established narrations. Um, now, someone can ask, why did the Mufassirun mention them then? The Mufassirun, from one perspective, when they cover elements of history in the Qur'an, are historians. So they'll mention these riwayat, but that doesn't mean they're accepting them. It doesn't mean that they're, they're saying that these narrations are they're correct. They're narrating them because that's their job. As Mufassirun, they collect all the information. And they leave behind the, the breadcrumbs for students of knowledge when they say stuff like "tila, رُوِيَةً an." So the student of knowledge who has an understanding won't take these narrations too seriously rather just take them into consideration knowing so tomorrow when someone does narrate them you can call out and say, Hey, stop right there. there is no, this narration actually has no asl to it. It has no asl, no farah. It has no beginning, it has no end. This narration is just something that people have created. Some scholars, well, وَالْغَالِبُ فِيهَا أَنَّهَا مِنَ أَوْ مِنَ الْمُخْتَرَعَاتِ They say that most likely these narrations were either adopted from Judo-Christian traditions or these are fabricated narrations that storytellers have created. And unfortunately people who get involved with in storytelling don't know when to stop telling stories. In particular if their narrative feels incomplete because this is a question. Why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala test ayub and they feel like their story is incomplete so we have to create a narrative and then people start fabricating and attributing, attributing falsehood to the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not in need of any cause or any reason when he chooses to afflict a person with difficulty or to bless a servant with his blessings. That's why the jealous person can never satisfy their jealousy because they have the exact opposite problem. They can't understand why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed an individual. Why did my cousin get married? Why didn't my cousin have a child? Why didn't my brother have a child? How did my, my friend get married? Why did they get a job? Why do I not have a job? You, you, guys are familiar, you guys understand this idea? So the person who struggles with jealousy just can't come to terms with one ayah of the Qur'an. And that ayah of the Qur'an is فَعَالٌ يُرِيدٌ That's it. لِمَا Allah does what He wants. End of story. What He desires, what He wishes. No one has any place questioning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or in another place of the Qur'an, Allah says, لَا يُسْأَلْ عَمَّا يَفْعَلْ وَهُمْ يُسْأَلُونَ You don't get to question Allah why He does what He does. Well, whom you ask, however, you will surely be questioned by Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, that is a day on a day that is reserved just for hisab, just for being held accountable with Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. So we, as Ahlu Sunnah Wal jamaah when reading these verses, we say that Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala tested Ayyub because He desired and willed, and we see this in the stories of the Anbiya. We don't find this to be abnormal. Because the Prophet Wasallam said, the Prophets are most tested by Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. So the Prophets of Allah are tested most by Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. That's just a principle, that's a rule of thumb. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi said this. The test of Allah is not for sinners. It's not just for people that are being punished. The test of Allah is reserved for the beloved servants of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. And we see this in the story of Sayyidina Ayyub Alayhi Now what kind of illness did Ayyub um, deal with Imam Qurtubi Rahmatullahi الله while addressing this issue he says waqad ikhtalafa fi adh ayyub rabbahu an yakshifahu anhu ala 15 aqwal that the scholars have differed in opinion regarding what was the exact illness that afflicted ayyub Alayhi salam that took ayyub Alayhi salam And because of which he asked Allah to relieve him. There are 15 opinions. Imam says, says, 15. How many? 15 opinions on what the exact illness was. Now when we look at some Israeli riwayat on the issue. They tell us that what happened to Ayub was he had some sort of a skin disease. And there were boils that began to spread throughout his body and his skin became so bad that there was a stench that began to emit from his body and there was liquid that would pour off his body. Some narrations mention that there was nothing left of his body that wasn't covered in this disease except for his tongue and his heart. These were the only two functional organs he had. He could barely see at this point in his life, he could barely hear as well. Now the Mufassirun after narrating this opinion They've raised an ishqal, an i'tirah, against it. They say, some ufasirun have mentioned this, that it seems inappropriate that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would test a prophet of his with an illness that would cause people to distance themselves from the prophet. Not that it's a bad thing, but it seems to be counterintuitive to the purpose of a prophet. Because the purpose of the prophet is to close the gap between themselves and people. Do you guys understand? Once a prophet is in duty, they are in duty for as long as they live. They have a responsibility of da'wah and, and, and to convey their message to the people. So now this illness that is mentioned that created a wedge between him and people, and then how some narrations um, suggest that Ayyub was removed from the city. These are common narrations, but the mufassirun raise i'tirad and against all against all these narrations based on this one point right here. And they choose to take a more simple approach that the Qur'an mentions he was afflicted with an illness, and that's that. What was the illness? What was the nature of the illness? What happened after that? The Qur'an doesn't mention it. Because when I read the verses, you'll see the Qur'an very eloquently mentions little regarding Ayub alayhi salam, but mentions enough for us to understand everything we need to understand. It mentions enough for us to understand, and this is the Balagha, the Fasaha of the Qur'an, that in very few words, it conveys a powerful, impactful message to mankind. Now, Ayyub alayhi salam's illness. The scholars they mentioned that Ayyub alayhi salam, I'm gonna go back now to the illness. Ayyub alayhi salam was a blessed servant. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had given him a lot. And one day Allah, azawajal, out of his infinite wisdom, decided to test Ayyub alayhi salam. And the result of that test was his lands were destroyed, some narration mentioned. His house collapsed while he wasn't in there, as a result of which all of his family members died. And then, soon after that, an illness began to spread through his body. When a person is tested in their mal and in their awlad, that's enough to break a person. Allah says, Innama amwalukum wa awladukum, fitnah," that your wealth and your children are a test from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Go and talk to someone who's lost large amounts of money in business. Someone has stolen from them. Someone cheated them. To be honest, these people probably can never recover. Some of them managed to because they've built a relationship with Allah long before they were afflicted with a calamity and they pulled through. While for others, sometimes that pit is so deep into the gut that they can never stand up again. And I've seen this. I was an imam in, I was an imam in a community Or there was a man who covered himself in a religious robe. This sounds like some sort of a joke, but it's not. It's true, very true. And he proposed the Muslim community with a project saying that I am here to build and start up this new project. My project will be absolutely halal. Come and invest in me. He took some money that he had. He established an Islamic institution. This person was regular in standing in the front saf. People who knew him say that he was a very righteous person. Big beard, he used to wear a nice thobe all the time. The Muslim community invested, invested, invested. And then one day he went missing. With estimates of close to between 30 to 60 million dollars. How much money? 30 to? 60 million dollars. I was Imam in the community where he scammed almost 70% of his money from. I was Imam in that community. And I remember those days like they were yesterday. Because the community was broken. Wallahi, they were broken. People canceled weddings. They They wouldn't attend social gatherings. People would come to the masjid and their faces would look like they just came back from burying their parents or something. People started losing hair. Their children were out of school, they couldn't afford college anymore. These guys were getting ready to be kicked out of their homes. There was one brother, I remember sitting in his house, he was telling me that his child was disabled, he was on disability, he had worked hard in his life and whatever money he had, he had invested it with this person, he actually took a loan out against his house, which is a horrible idea by the way, never do that. And he invested it and uh, that man ran away with the money and he was telling me, that at this point, he was gonna be homeless and on the street very soon. He had a beautiful home. He said, I'm gonna be on the street very soon because there's no way for me to work anymore. My, my unemployment check or my disability check is not gonna cover it. And my child is not able to work. My wife is not able to work. There's nothing left for me, I'm done. Uh, I had people that were very close to me. There was one uncle that I knew in the community who had, who had already reached almost 55-60 years of age, and he was just getting ready to retire. Paid off his home, paid off his car, but unfortunately he made the same silly mistake, he took out a loan against his house. And he invested it, and that uncle till today is working. Years have passed since that incident. He's way past his age, but he still goes to work every day. And I always sit with him and I say to him, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because he was the one person that I saw, this uncle that I'm talking about, Whenever I would go to him and I would say, Uncle, how are you doing? I know you lost quarter million dollars. Are you okay? And he would always just say, Alhamdulillah, that money was never meant for me. He said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala set a higher rate of zakat for me. But he used to say, only if I can give it to the fuqara and not have that man run away with it. So when people are robbed, did you guys remember the uh, financial crisis we faced 10 years ago? What did the world look like during that time? People were broken, they were on the road again. What they thought they had accomplished, they thought they had began to see the American dream, there was a rude awakening, it was all gone. So this is what happened to Ayyub I want you to understand it in context. This calamity itself, in and of itself, is enough to crush a person, it'll break a person. When someone robs your money, when someone steals your money, or calamity takes it all, then after that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes away his family members, one by one by one. Their time had come to leave the world. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took them away. And as they left him, imagine how much that must have hurt Ayyub to come back to a home that was once full of joy and laughter and happiness and hugs and kisses, and now it be a graveyard. Go and speak to a parent who's lost one child, let alone a whole family. They can never recover from it. They're broken because that one calamity destroys them. One of my teachers, I always remember his example because I remember what happened. He was our teacher of Nahu and Sarf, and uh, he took his kids one day to a theme park, and when they were done playing at the theme park, they were getting ready to go. You know how these theme parks have massive parking lots? So they were packing their stuff in the parking lot, and the kids said, "About we wanna play cricket. In England, they play cricket. So he said, okay, so they got the, the, kick it, the cricket kick kit out of the trunk and the kids started playing. One of the kids hit the ball, the other kid went to go get it. He cut a, he cut a corner and a, a bus came and ran over him and flattened his head out like a pancake. Instantly killed him. And our chef, he went and picked his son up and he held his son and cried as his son literally bled all over him. He didn't move from there, he was just sitting there crying and crying and crying. He stopped teaching after that, he couldn't teach anymore. The sheikh of ours, he stopped eating after that. His health became very bad. He couldn't keep track of salah time of anything, because all he could see was his child with a flat head.